Here at the Earth to Humans podcast, we love highlighting, exploring and increasing visibility of environmental intersections. With Pride Month taking place in many parts of our beautiful planet last month, and Pride events continuing throughout this month, I thought now would be a great time to discuss an intersection we haven't featured on our podcast just yet, LGBTQIA visibility within the environmental sector. I recorded the following conversation after having a browse through Waterbear one night to discover a new film had been added, a wildlife film with a bio unlike anything I'd heard before. Now, I won't ruin the first few minutes of the podcast by going into too much detail, but I will say that I loved this conversation and learning how I can be a better ally to a community of people whose rights I feel so passionately about. joining us for this conversation because she's out looking at gibbons out in the wild so she's out having a fun day today um i'm jealous of that i know (laughs) (laughs) that's so cool it's really cool i I just like i've been loving watching all of her adventures in indonesia and beyond you know like totally living vicariously for sure through her Um, but we're here. Um, I'm Serena. I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Podolsky. We're two of the three folks behind the Earth Humans podcast. But yeah, since Hannah is not here to introduce uh, the episode, um, she interviewed the filmmakers behind a, a film called Diving for Rays. Um, and I just want to read the synopsis of it. Diving for Rays follows the story of Nicole Morris who since she was young has inspired to become a marine conservationist. Growing up in San Diego, California, shout out SoCal, uh, she spent her childhood among the creatures of the sea, her favorite being rays. The ocean became her place of healing, especially when she first realized she was queer. The more she discovered who she was, however, the less she saw herself in conservation as a queer woman. Years later, she realized that she owed it to herself to become what she couldn't see. In this 20-minute documentary, Nicole shares her story of taking her first steps in chasing her dreams by getting scuba certified. Along the way, she learned how, how the lack of LGBTQ plus visibility in marine science can have a devastating impact on aspiring conservationists. Okay, 
Brilliant. So welcome to the Earth to Humans podcast. And today I am joined by the production team and star <laughs> of Diving for Rays, which is a new documentary that has just been released on Water Bear. And I would like to start by inviting you guys to just introduce yourselves and maybe just say a little bit about what your role was within the film. I feel like you should go first. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely go first. So uh, yeah, my name is Nicole. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. And I, yeah, I was the star. I was the person who was, <laughs> their face was on the documentary. So yeah, that's me. What do you do? Oh, what do I do? Uh, <laughs> shoot. I, man, I do so many things. Right now I work in outdoor education and conservation within uh, kind of like my local area in Southern California. And I also go to school for biology to learn how to better engage my community in um, just like lo local like, conservation efforts. So yeah. My name is Angel. My pronouns are they, them. I'm Nicole's spouse and also the writer and director of Diving for Rays. And I am a wildlife filmmaker and I'm also an editor at Day's Edge Productions. Cool. Um, my name is Noble West. I use they, them pronouns. I was also a co-director and kind of like the underwater cinematographer for Diving for Rays. Outside of Diving for Rays, I'm, I guess, a wildlife filmmaker in general specializing in underwater film, but I do a lot of other things like art and music and stuff. So... <laughs> Amazing. Well, it's lovely to meet you all and welcome to the Esther Humans podcast. Thank you for coming. I guess I just want to start. So the reason that this film, the reason I kind of noticed it was that it, I'm a regular user of the Water Bear platform and it popped up and it's a really, really important subject matter and a story that has been needing to be told for a really long time. And I was just so happy to see it finally represented. And then the more I dug into the film when I found out who'd produced it and what the story was behind that. I just wondered if you could, if for people that haven't seen the film yet, and if you are one of those people, I hope by the end of this, you are watching it straight away. <laughs> um, but for those people who haven't heard of the film, just yet. I wondered if you could just give us a little synopsis. Yeah, totally. So um, I can I can do that. Diving for Rays is a story about my wife, Nicole, who uh, after kind of realizing that they had been chased away from her passion to become a marine biologist, she decided to kind of drop everything and turn her, her, turn her life in a completely different direction and, and try and become a marine conservationist and specifically to study endangered elasmobranchs, but specifically rays I would say are probably your favorite. Um, so the story kind of covers the first big steps of that, like getting scuba certified and and a bunch of other really monumental moments in this journey. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I would second that as the person who was who had the documentary made about them. Yes. <laughs> um, I think I think important parts of this are like queer representation. Like as a queer person, I think it's super important to be not only visible, but to tell stories that I, I hope that other people will relate to. And so this is another one of those as well. And something to add to that too is it's just what kind of what Hannah mentioned. It's kind of this like queer film about a queer person and her story, but also made by queer people for queer people. We see a lot of like queer stories out there that end in tragedy and are kind of focused on how hard it is to be queer. And so a focus of this story was acknowledging that, but also talking about the joy that it is to be queer. That's something that I really, really loved. And it's it's very much a first within this genre for me. Like I've seen films in other genres and documentaries as well, but never in wildlife film. And 
as someone that's very involved in that industry and in that sector, it is really important that there is that representation. And I know that, Nicole, that's something that it's held you back, not, not seeing that. And I think something that really spoke to me during the film was when you were discussing that you were somebody who loved nature because of media. I grew up in a city. I had robins and pigeons in my garden. Like there was, <laughs> there wasn't ever that access to nature that a lot of people have. So I grew up watching David Attenborough and the wild thorn breeze and all of that kind of all of that. I always credit the wild thorn breeze because I think that was actually the biggest influence on me. But that's just such me. a good show. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> so um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But there isn't that representation, and obviously, to find your root within a career choice having role models is really really important so to have that absent must have been a challenge for you but I just wondered if you could kind of talk on that challenge a little bit more and how that made you feel yeah definitely I think as I'm like reflecting back on it I felt really really small I have this like personal tendency to make myself feel small or to like allow what other people think or or say about me to make me feel small. And so I remember sitting in those spaces and I remember, you know, watching documentaries on like family movie night. And I remember the documentaries having this like dreamlike quality to them, right? Like I just picture like there's like David Attenborough in the background and it's absolutely like beautiful cinematography, right? And it's like this awe-inspiring moment. And there's this little thing in the back of my head that's like, oh, I want to do that. But I have no clear way or no one in my life rather to say, hey, this is something that you can do and here's how you do that. Instead, I had a lot of, you know, kind of the other stuff that uh, makes it really, really hard to chase after your dreams. You know, you have a lot of people or I'll speak from my perspective. I had a lot of people in my life who uh, were sort of like pseudo supportive people who like said that they supported me, but uh, never really did any of the things that I would have asked them to support me with, if that makes sense. And and it was just that in and of itself was like a barrier that I, I continued to face of like, oh, I really want to do this thing. And um, I kind of start talking about it, maybe gaining interest on like, or, or gaining knowledge on maybe how I could reach this end goal. And it was just kind of a lot of people saying, yeah, that's really great, but I'm not really doing anything or, or helping me to do that in any way. And in addition to that, you know, a lot of this film is about visibility. Um, I to this day, don't really know a lot of other uh, queer scientists or conservationists that have had films made about them that are, you know, visible in the documentary space. Um, and that's a lot of, you know, those are a lot of the, the that's the media that inspired me. Um, and so, yeah, I think uh, Angel and I have always kind of, if you look back at like whenever we first met, we've always done a lot of firsts together. Um, and it, it's it been this this really beautiful thing of like, ah, yes, another sort of like, as you said, another first of like, ah, yes, a queer documentary made by queer people. And uh, I'm eternally grateful for y'all. Yeah, before this, we um, we had a YouTube channel where we talked about being queer Christians. And we're not, I wouldn't say that we're Christians anymore, <laughs> but during the time, like it was another like, oh, we're, we're going to just like kind of stick our toes in places where queer people usually don't, don't. stick their toes in. So yeah. this, this kind of felt like another go of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a different font, you know? Like, oh, same <laughs> phrase, different font. Yeah, yeah. Like, all right, like, we don't see anyone else here. Let's, let's, let's make a space for us. Yeah. yeah, so that's a lot of the thinking and, and momentum behind it. And of course, whenever we met Nova, it just seemed like this absolute perfect fit. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So yeah. have you have you all worked together before this film? This was our first time. Like I met Angel and Nicole maybe two months before we started making this film. <laughs> and I I kind of reached out to Angel via the interwebs because lo and behold, there aren't too many visible non-binary wildlife filmmakers. And so I like saw a post on Instagram. I was like, oh my gosh, like I, I need to meet this person. And we immediately hit it off. And then I ended up moving to San Diego where we're based out of visit Angel and Nicole. They welcomed me into their home. And then we're like, wait, we should like make a film together. I think Angel called me up one night. was like, what if we made a film? I was like, yes, obviously. Like, yes, this is, this is perfect. Um, <laughs> and we spent so much time kind of just like spitballing what the film could be about. <laughs> I think literally we both just like kind of turned to Nicole and we're like, so Nicole, you're doing cool things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause we had just signed Nicole up for uh, scuba diving, like certification. Um, and we were, we were just going to do that anyways. And we were like, what if we, what if we made a film about Nicole getting scuba certified? And then it just kind of like spiraled into like <laughs> what it ended up being. Yeah. I mean, it right. sounds like the, you caught it at the perfect moment, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> like that meeting happened and perfect. <laughs> Yeah. And at the time I had like just gotten a professional underwater rig and like had so much time of not being able to use it because I lived in a landlocked area where winter happens and like there's just nowhere for me to use it. So I was like itching for an underwater story. And one of my favorite things to like witness for myself is someone's first breaths underwater. I think it's just so magical like for me when I experienced it, but being able to watch people I dearly love also take that step is really cool. So being able to document it was like a no-brainer. I think that really comes across in the film for sure. Like when you are taking those first breaths underwater, like I got goosebumps. I was like, oh yes, like that. <laughs> I, I remember, I remember getting scuba certified. Mine was very different to your experience. I was actually in a place called Gloucester in the UK and there was a film of ice on the quarry oh my gosh so everybody has their own different experiences when it comes to scuba diving but that was yeah it was absolutely freezing I was in a dry suit so I mean yeah yours yours looks a lot nicer than mine but I do I I can relate to the feeling as well as feeling freezing cold right (laughs) a little shock to your system in many ways yes yeah yeah absolutely so obviously you guys meeting was kind of the birthplace of this film being made what were the other were there kind of other ideas being thrown around at the time or was it just or was it quite clear that this was the story that you wanted to tell yeah you know I think like another catalyst for this film was it it actually happened like a couple months before we met Nova and this is like one night Nicole and I were watching a documentary and this was like this was like in the middle of the pandemic so it was still like during during the peak time when like everybody had been home and with too much time on their hands so they're like contemplating what are they doing with their lives like quarter life crisis kind of vibes and we had just been in like talks of like what are we doing because at that point we were kind of phasing out of like this thing that we were doing with YouTube and and trying to just figure out like what we wanted in life and and at the time like I was working as like a barista and also doing um I come from like a more of like a marketing ad videography kind of a background and then you know you were doing nonprofit work and and we were just kind of like what do we want to like what do we want to do and we start having these conversations about like childhood dreams and like oh like I've always wanted to be like a wildlife like filmmaker 
you've always wanted to be a marine biologist, but you know, like, uh, I don't know, like, and we just kind of ha- were having lofty dreams. Lofty dreams. <laughs> we were just kind of like spitballing um, about this, like over a couple of months. And then we were watching this documentary one night and to preface, it was an amazing documentary and it was really great. It covered women in conservation and like pioneers and staple people. And it was a really diverse cast of, of people. Like it was people from all different countries, all different like races and religions. Um, and it was great. And we were, we were watching and we were like seeing as like everyone's kind of getting introduced and we're like, oh, there's going to be like a queer person in this and not a single queer person um, showed up on, on this, on this documentary. And it like, and, and I also remember, like, I remember like being like so inspired by this film and like really mm-hmm. wanting there to be a queer person. And I was like, you know what, maybe they just didn't say it on screen. And so I went and I remember like going on Instagram and like Googling them and yeah. being like, there's gotta be one. <laughs> but we were like, well, maybe, not, maybe they just don't talk about it in the, in the film or yeah. something like that, you know? And so, but yeah, there was not, a, not one featured and, and we were, it like affected us like more than we realized. And we started like having conversations and, and we were like, maybe this is why we didn't do the thing that we wanted to do and we start talking about it and like because there was even a point where I was enrolled in uh, a different university than I went to for um, zoology and I was going to do it and then I like kind of chickened out and, and backed out and ended up majoring in something different and like similar thing with you like like we had we had these big dreams when we were younger and just because we didn't see ourselves in any role models on tv in our in our lives personally that we're doing this thing that also were queer or in our similar like life circumstance that it just never occurred to us. It was just never a thought. And so with that, that was, I say like, I, I would say like maybe the first catalyst for this because that night we went and drafted your grad school application letter. Yeah. Like, I just like out of say... pure spite. We were like, <laughs> yep. let's see if we can do this again in there. I like um, to say that like I rage applied to grad school, yeah. right? I like listened to my internal like anger about not like being represented in this field that I wanted to go into and was like, I'm going to change it. <laughs> and then six months later we met Nova. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there was like that context. And then whenever we met Nova and, and Nova and I were like, just talking about like wanting to make a film, we were like, you know, we could like make a film on like San Diego wildlife and marine life. And we knew we wanted to do something underwater and and something like that. But this, this story just seemed so fitting for a a first documentary for both of us. And also just as like a story and a, and a topic that needed to be told. I think something that's really interesting about the film as well and and knowing the background of the film is obviously that the film is about Nicole's story, but there is this meeting of three stories within the actual wider sense of the film. The film's about marine conservation and there being a lack of representation within that, but there is within wildlife filmmaking as well. Having those online spaces, it can be the internet is a very cruel place, but it's also a place of being able to find community. And it can be incredibly important for that as well. So obviously there's both negative and positive impacts of that. And then also within that space, you're then relying on somebody feeling comfortable enough to be able to express who they truly are through their social media, despite all of that horrible stuff that's going on. Um, So I don't know, there's a lot of actually finding finding that community can be really tricky I'm sure yeah but I mean a little a little plug here um the three of us have actually uh teamed up with um, an organization called Jackson Wild 
And they're like a media awards primarily, um, but they're also a nonprofit that has a lot of like community outreach um, in engagements and things like that. And uh, just this past year, we started uh, like an LGBTQ plus like initiative with them where people in our respective communities, like the filmmaking community and the science community um, who are a part of the queer community can come together in this space. And um, it's so interesting because you were saying that like the film is a kind of a convergence of these three different stories. This is the story for a lot of people um, we've, we've noticed is that like a lot of people in this community are a little, either, either they were late to the game or they felt discouraged along their journey because they're not seeing themselves necessarily. Um, so it's been really cool like through this like making of this film and then working with Jackson to like create this community to see um, people's stories and also people's journeys and also share with people like, hey, this is possible because we're all doing it like together, you know, and no, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Yeah, we also kind of, I, I'm trying to remember the timeline is either right before kind of while we were making this film, we kind of discovered um, 500 Queer Scientists, which is a partner of our film and it's an incredible platform for finding queer scientists. I've had so many different people reach out to me and I've like gotten to speak at colleges because of 500 queer scientists. I've had young queer people reach out to me and get to do one-on-one -on -one meetings of like, how can I help you reach your goals? So yes, online spaces are so incredibly important. And I think there is a mindfulness with it, making sure that, you know, it doesn't turn into a hateful space. Um, and it is a liberating space, but honestly, like the, the power that we all have together is so great. And like being able to inspire each other is really important. And seeing yourself, of course, is the whole name of the game, but, um, I'm really excited to like start as the film would say, being the person I needed when I was younger, you know, <laughs> we're being so we can see, uh, it's like the whole thing with Diving for Ace, so. One of my questions to you was going to be what, what you're hoping the legacy of the film is going to be now that it's the film is out and it can be shared widely it's obviously on a platform that goes out to thousands if not millions of people and um, what do you hope comes next yeah I think just like generally we really would love for a few things actually we had a few goals when we were like planning the film out to like who this who we wanted to be impacted by it and obviously like queer people who are on the like similar journeys, like we want to inspire them and make sure that they feel seen and, and things like that. But also like for like for two other groups, people, one is people that are outside of the queer community who have a similar journey, because it's not just queer people that are affected by this. It's a lot of people who are in marginalized communities or even not marginalized communities who like we've all kind of gone through stuff in our life where we wish that we had a role model um, and you know, inspiring those people to, to be like, hey, like, you know, there are going to be barriers in your life, but just do it, do it anyways. Like find a way, find the resources that there's, I mean, sometimes there's not a lot of resources out there, but find the ones that are, you know, reach out to mentors and things like that. And then the third group is like allies who are in this space who kind of hold that position of privilege. Um, like scientists who have, you know, students or, or, production companies who are looking to like be more diverse in their hiring process or, or um, people that can come up and create opportunities for people who tend to struggle to get access to those opportunities um, and just figuring out how to reach more people and being able to see this film and, and be like, okay, there are people like this out there who don't see themselves. How can I make a space that's, that's visible for people in my own company or my own organization? Um, so that's like a very broad answer to that question, but yeah. Something I really wanted to 
say about the film that I really noticed for sure. And obviously knowing that you guys are married and that you that it was someone filming someone that they really love like that came across so much in the film and I think that (laughs) it's just something to really highlight it's like you're like the filming of that journey of somebody like you could tell how tender the story was and how much you kind of cared about it in the way that the film was made and I think had it yeah like I, I don't know if anyone else has kind of told you that but I think when I kind of almost wish that I hadn't known a little bit because I think I was like I wonder if I would have noticed that but there is just this support and this like absolute just wanting to be there every step of the way and there being that journey throughout that just really comes across in this really beautiful way um so I just wanted to say that as 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 a side note thank you I really appreciate that yeah I I mean anybody will tell you that I'm obsessed with my wife and um you know I think I think the year before we made this film I really went through my own journey of like, you know, trying to pursue my passions and things like that. And so the year that we started making this film was like, I I was like, I want you to like succeed. And I want you to have the same like success and, and stuff like that, that I experienced in that year prior. So I just, I, yeah, you, I, I'm glad that you can tell in the film. Cause I, I just, I'm, I love my wife so much and I'm, I'm really glad that she got to chase after her dreams. And it was, it was fun to, I mean, like my, my favorite thing is filming things that I love obviously and showcasing like amazing, powerful stories. So it, it, it was really extra special to be able to do that with my wife, you know? I think it's kind of funny because <laughs> Angel was editing the bulk of the film while I was at sea. Um, I was at sea for like 70 days doing deep ocean research and like Angel was sending me cuts of the film and I remember like talking to my shipmates about it and being like this is just like one giant love letter to Nicole and I (laughs) (laughs) and that's absolutely what it is though and like I think that's also something so powerful about it is like we're doing so many things with this film and one of them is showing queer people that they deserve love and I I really love that like (laughs) Angel's love is kind of pouring out to the grander (laughs) queer community as well. I love that. <laughs> it really, really does come across like that, in my opinion, obviously. You you notice it too. <laughs> I think the film also has a really big conservation message and Nicole's kind of passion for the ocean and the fact that it's in decline and the fact that all of these horrible things are happening really, really comes across. And I think a really important message in the film is that for us to be alienating anybody... Um, any human being on this planet from getting involved in the preservation in the re like regeneration and the restoration of our planet is a disaster I really really hope that there are people out there who receive that message and think do you know what I am I belong to this community I am me but I'm also a part of nature I yeah I, I just really hope that through this film people can kind of identify and they will apply to grad school and whatever stage they're at in their in their career I think it's always really interesting especially within the environmental sector when you speak to people about how they got into the sector and what they did before from a from a careers background it's such a diver and like people have such diverse skill sets and it's really really amazing so I think there is that message of like wherever you're from whoever you are whatever your skill set 
there's a place for you within the environmental sector and you can be creative you can be scientific you can be whatever like whoever you want to be nature will benefit from that and, and nature needs us yeah oh I love <laughs> Absolutely. that and honestly like if you think about it for most of human history we've kind of really only listened or taken into account the perspective of a very small population within our larger populations and like we're missing out on so many different thoughts and opinions and creative ways to solve these big issues that we have especially climate crisis and things like that and like protecting our seas and and wildlife in general but it's it's like wow if we just I don't know actually gave other people opportunities to speak and be heard in the same space like I think we'd be able to solve a lot more issues really quickly. I remember kind of going back 15 years when I first started university I was constantly challenged by the things that I was learning like I was sat there thinking it was very much a a message of removing people from landscapes which I always kind of had a lot of issue with because like but they've kind of been there for like however many tens of thousands of years so (laughs) is this really the best way to to do this like are we yeah and then like over time you kind of become the kind of environmentalist that you want to see in the world like it's obviously taking that phrase and and rephrasing it completely but you you kind of think yeah that's not quite right like I don't think that we should really be doing that and and it's a yeah it's it's an interesting journey to go on for sure because there is a lot of issues within the environmental sector of exclusion which really 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 need to be addressed I and to add on to your point um one of the things that um I I don't know that I'm really passionate about or that one of the one of the changes that I would like to see happen in this field too um is is like one of the reasons I think that we don't see a lot of folks from diverse or like marginalized uh communities uh is that a lot of the times whenever you enter into conservation or like environmentalist uh in like the industry you're kind of expected to like work for free or to work at like a, a much lower pay than uh, you would normally be compensated for in another industry. And you're like emerging. <laughs> right, whenever you're emerging. And and I think um, it kind of just speaks to like the um, certain amount of uh, like privilege or connections that you have to already have whenever starting. Um, and I think like one of the things that we can do to sort of like uh, support folks that are new to this field where we value their uh, their backgrounds and their opinions and um, the things that are going to help us ultimately problem solve this, uh, you know, climate disaster better um, is I think we can just like provide them with like, not only just like uh, opportunity, but also like pay them fairly. Like, I think this is something that I am so, so, so vastly passionate about and will uh, just rant about it any chance that I can, <laughs> because it's something that like I, I really consistently see in this industry, the more that I'm in it and the more that I talk to folks about it. And so I think whenever we're looking at environmentalism and whenever we're looking at, you know, how do we support our planet, we have to also look at how are we supporting humans and how are we supporting like their, their like, I don't know, like the environmental justice issues that are more likely to affect these communities um, that we also are less likely to hear in conservation, right? Like, I think all of these things are sort of beautifully connected and intertwined, and we have to be thinking about these things as well. So, my two cents. (laughs) 
within the film as well, you choose Ray's which I had my very first, so I've, I've seen rays as I've been to different places. We actually have some rays in the UK as well. They're quite difficult to spot, but they're there. But I had my first diving with rays properly experience about two weeks ago. I went diving with manta rays and it was one of the most beautiful experiences of my entire life. Yes. Um, and I cried. I cried while I was diving. And yep. that was a that was a very a first and I was like, okay, stop <laughs> like this one. Like, <laughs> doing this on my face. Like I was like, okay, you need you you need to breathe properly. <laughs> so stop crying. Um there is just that oh they're so majestic they're so incredible such an excellent choice of something to study and be passionate about <laughs> um for sure but what what is it about about rays that's kind of caught your imagination and obviously for you guys as filmmakers this was Nicole's choice of animal but that must have been kind of beneficial for you guys as well getting to getting to have a look at those very much so <laughs> but I'll, I'll let you go first <laughs> yeah I would say shoot I mean I always have like loved like large marine creatures like there is like a, a gracefulness to it that um to, to them that like I've always really appreciated um and so it was actually while I was living in Phoenix and I was really really like I say like seasick but in in like adjacent to the word homesick right <laughs> like I was longing and like longing for my home so much so that I wanted a tattoo to like represent not only that but then also sort of like the characteristics of what I felt I needed to develop within myself to sort of get through this next phase of life. And so I kind of just started looking at like marine creatures. And one of the ones that stood out to me was manta rays and traditionally in like Polynesian culture and like Asian American cultures, like they're seen as this beautiful, like wise, uh, there's like a gracefulness and like a strength to them. And I was like, I want to cultivate that in myself and in my life. Um, and so I got it tattooed. The more that I learned about them, the more that I loved them. There are so many amazing rays and they're so vastly understudied. Um, Elasmobranchs, which is like sort of like the, the umbrella that they fall under, which is sharks and rays, they're kind of seen as like severely understudied. Rays specifically are kind of considered like flat sharks biologically, <laughs> like flattened sharks. Right. And I was like, oh my God, like, why don't we talk about them more? And there, there are some you know, that are along the coast of California that, you know, they do have these little stingers on the end of them and man, do they hurt whenever they sting you. And at the same time, that's not all of them. And I feel like so often, you know, you mentioned a ray or like a, a stingray and that is the first thing that comes to people's mind. And so in my brain, I was like, oh, well, this is perfect because not only am I, you know, from a community where like we have so many stereotypes and we have so many things that folks say about us, but then also here's this little creature that no one really knows about um, that is local to my area, not manta rays specifically, but rays, that everyone seems to have a, a different idea or experience about it. And nowhere is there stories of awe and wonder except for like maybe the Disney movie Moana like <laughs> I was gonna say when Moana came out you lost your mind I lost my mind <laughs> but uh, I think we all did <laughs> yeah. yes yes um and yeah it just seemed it just seemed like so perfect like not like like just to be able to to uncover something about a, a creature that lived in my area and then to be able to sort of offer a, a change in the public perception for them so that maybe they're studied more and they can also live happier, healthier lives because we find out what they need and how we can support them and what they need and cleaning our oceans a little bit better. And it just seemed to all really mesh 
with ease. So they're kind of my favorite. Uh, and to continue, I learned about like torpedo rays recently. I'm like so obsessed. They're like these little stingrays that are like electric or not stingrays, but rays that are almost like electric. Yeah. I'd encourage you if you have some free times to check that out. <laughs> I mean, what I'm doing after the call, that's for sure. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yeah. To, to kind of jump on that also, like I, I don't know. I was kind of like whatever about rays until kind of just recently when we started getting into this and I started like really learning about them and and I and I like them for the kind of the same reasons that you do like I just I relate to them a lot of like they're so misunderstood and misjudged and like a lot of, like I mean like I was just watching a TikTok the other day and it was of somebody who was in Baja who was seeing the I think I would say this probably the same aggregation that we saw um and those are mobile arrays and they don't have stingers um and everybody in the comments was like saying something adjacent to like oh my god aren't you going to get stung or like oh i hate those and almost all the comments were like kill them all because of steve Irwin," and like you know and that just like some it got dark in a lot of the comments and so there's just like a lot of a lot of negative press about <laughs> about rays and like i i feel i relate to that because there's so many negative things about like that people think about the queer community I mean, and specifically, like I myself, I identify as being non-binary. People always like infantilize us, and and you know have all these like preconceived like ideas and, and things like that. But there's so much to uncover. There's so much more that's there, and there's there's so much that people don't understand. And I think that Ray's being so beautiful and honestly like docile, peaceful creatures that most people have no idea. And being able to see them in person was just like. But I don't know. What do you think, Nova? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> same, literally same. So I grew up in Minnesota, which is very much landlocked um, and we have lakes, no oceans. So like rays were just such a foreign concept to me growing up. Honestly, the entire ocean was such a foreign concept. But at the same time, I had my childhood bedroom painted like the yellow submarine. So I don't know. There's like there's like nature versus nurture, right? Like in my nature, I needed the ocean. And it wasn't until I like became a scuba diver. I lived on the coast for a little bit and then I moved over to this coast. I've like finally actually got to see a ray for the first time. I think it was with Angel and Nicole. Maybe they were teaching me how to surf or something. I don't know. But regardless, it's still like on my list to finally see a manta ray. Like similar to Nicole, I have an affinity for like ocean creatures that are just larger than life right that are absolutely gigantic because it puts things into perspective I lived in Washington DC for a while and like I'm the kind of person that I can I can live in a city but I need to have like a high up vantage point wherever I live and it's a similar thing of like I just need to be like I need things to be put into perspective you know and so similarly being in the ocean being with the mobile arrays was absolutely incredible um, we were aiming for manta rays, but, or giant manta rays, but Mobula's just incredible. Absolutely amazing. The film was um, actually so called Diving for Mantas before that shoot, because we were originally going to find the giant mantas, but we didn't find any on our first scuba dive. And then our, our, our um, guide was like, if we drive two hours away, and do a completely different thing that we were going to do. We can find this like massive aggregation of mobulas. So that's a little fun fact. <laughs> yeah, very serendipitous. And I love that that was such a magical experience for all of you as well. For you, Nicole, seeing that footage of you with all of these mobulas must have just been like, oh, like I'm a mermaid. <laughs> I think those were my exact thoughts. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, you you hit it right on the nose. Uh, yeah, I I think so. Uh, for context, too, I we went with a group of uh, like folks uh, that we were like really close with because we were like, oh, we're gonna make this documentary, and why don't we make like a, a a queer friend group trip out of it? And so it was this really beautiful moment of all of us and our friends uh, just hopping into the water, and for a moment, just we all floated on the surface, and we just were looking oh, down, and it was silent, silent. for like a couple minutes like three to five because we all were like in like in awe um (laughs) yeah we we couldn't believe our eyes and it's just thousands of like rays below you and you're like oh my god and then I don't remember who but someone broke the silence by like scream laughing Um, (laughs) and so then you just have all these like queers on the top of the water just scream laughing together because we're so inspired by what adrenaline was just like what are we looking at with our eyes? Cause I, and I forgot, I, I forgot like what the exact like thing was, but our guide was telling us that the aggregation that we saw was like some sort of like mega aggregation. Like this, this particular like aggregation comes through Baja, like I think annually, um, yeah. but they sometimes like split off into like smaller little groups, but this was like a massive mega, like there were thousands of them. I, I will never see anything else in my life like that. Like it is, it is a wild experience. Having those kind of experiences. Like I can, I feel like what the first time, have you seen a Starling murmuration? Oh yes. I haven't seen one in person. But I know what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. So we, we have those in the UK and I remember studying and, and talking about animal behavior and we were studying birds at the time and we went and watched this starling murmuration and I just stood completely still and like couldn't move. And I feel like you're kind of talking about that experience where you're just silent and you're completely, your breath's taken away by nature. Um, yeah. And I think having that kind of like experience just after that, you really give a shit. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. And I mean, like, also, this is why, this is why I love, um, wildlife filmmaking so much um and just documentary filmmaking in general but specifically wildlife filmmaking I I feel like people I think that someone has said this and I can't remember who but people like will be inspired to care about something if they actually experience it and with conservation I feel like that's such like a, a big thing and that's why we make films right is because there's so much amazing stuff out there and if people were to just like see like what goes on out there, they might be a little bit more inclined to care. And I think that that's the same thing with like people stories too. Like if, if people just see the stories of, of other people and what people are going through, they might be more inclined to care about it. But yeah, that's just why I love wildlife filmmaking and also just watching wildlife documentaries so much. Cause like every day I'm inspired by like some random animal that I wouldn't have thought about before that I'm just like, Oh, actually like seagulls has been my, my, my latest thing. <laughs> oh. I I have found out so much information about this controversy with seagulls about how like in the 70s there was like a lesbian seagull pair that was found and the papers were published about it and like outrage happened and it went all the way up to Congress threatening to defund the like NSF like it was like a whole thing so now like every time I see a seagull I'm like I appreciate you and I used to hate you but like now I'm like oh seagulls I love them so yeah like, stay away from my ice cream but I love like, you like get away from my friends keep respectful but- yeah <laughs> and I I think it's important to mention too that like when we are in these spaces of like complete awe and wonder surrounding wildlife like who you are <clears throat> excuse me who you are with matters 
And like being able to actually express that excitement is just, I find sometimes really hard to do when you're with the wrong group of people filming. Like sometimes when I'm on a shoot, I'm like stone cold because I'm working with people that like just don't have that vibe, but it's it's kind of going back into how like Diving for Rays is a film about a queer person made for queer people by queer people. And not only like does filming it become so much more fun when you're surrounded by other people who understand who you are in your life and your story, but it's also, you just make a better product. Like that joy and excitement comes through the lens, uh, both through Nicole and how we film these animals. So it's it's like a full circle, like everything makes everything better when you're happy and having fun, so. Absolutely. And Nova, you kind of mentioned earlier about you were on this multi-day marine research trip. Was that filmmaking or was that something else entirely? Yeah, I, of course, forgot to mention this in my intro because I always like forget one thing. I remember two and I forget one. But I also do um, deep sea exploration slash video work with the EV Nautilus uh, through Ocean Exploration Trust. So it was totally separate project. We were working with um, Nat Geo explorers to explore um, some parts of the ocean near the Hawaiian Islands. But I was at sea for 70 day stint on several different expeditions and Angel had the editing bug was trying to get this film done in time for Jackson. And so unfortunately I wasn't too much help, but um, yeah, I got to do tons of really cool underwater filming with them um, the year prior. So we do both like ROV, like deep sea video stuff. So I'm a, a video engineer and broadcast engineer with them. Um, and then this season was more um, topside and scuba filming based. So I got to do a lot of underwater filming for them. I think being an underwater cinematographer just seems like one of the best jobs out there. So oh, only a little bit jealous. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's hard. It's a really hard field to break into because everything costs so much money. But, <laughs> you know, talking about access and being able to just afford a camera and housing is a lot. But like once you have that or if you have someone who's willing to let you play with their kit, then it, it makes it a lot more accessible. With this being like a first film for you all working together, for it then to have gone on and got distribution on Water Bear and recognition from Jackson Wild and all of these other kind of things, like you guys must be so over the moon about that. Over the moon is a good way to put it. Yeah, <laughs> I think we definitely did not expect it to go this far. Like we had high hopes for it, but was I mean like not many people get to say that their first ever film got distribution and also to get distribution on like a platform that is just I, I love Water Bear and I, and I and I was a regular watcher of Water Bear before we got our film up there so um to be able to get it up on a platform that we actually care about and and is a really good platform was was amazing and yeah I mean I I, I keep telling everyone like I'm having like really mad blank canvas syndrome right now because I'm, I'm like writing that high of like all of this crazy stuff has happened with like our film and now I'm like oh I want to do it all again because it was, it was so fun and and yeah. <laughs> I guess that leads me really nicely on to my next question which you may not be able to answer <laughs> and maybe you will but um what's kind of next for everybody and are you planning on working together again? Are there, is there anything in the pipeline? Yeah I I'm actually it's funny I'm I think this semester going to be applying for uh, some grants to maybe start doing some like conservation research, which is super exciting. And I've officially kind of like 
nailed down kind of what I want to do for my like big master's project, which is exciting. I kind of just nailed that down last week. Uh, so I'm really stoked about that. And of course, because uh, the folks that really inspired so much of my master's project are here on this call with us, <laughs> um, I have asked Nova to be like, hey, if I need to like maybe find a way to like document some like large aggregation of stingrays off the coast, like... <laughs> Can we do that? Um, I got you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, and um, yeah, and then of course, you know, Angel's always here whenever I'm like figuring out, you know, what my what what I want to study, you know, like helping me figure out like what it is to like write grants. And of course, I have professors for that, but it's also nice to have someone who like knows your brain and your heart so intimately <laughs> too to be able to to talk with that about um, talk about that with yes yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so that's, that's like my next thing. Um, and I am, yeah, I'm really excited about it. So. Yeah. And, and I would say project wise, maybe Nova, you can, you can speak to this a little bit more, but we've definitely spitballed on, on some ideas of what we'd like to do next. Cause I think you have a little bit of the blank canvas syndrome too. <laughs> <laughs> I do right now. But um, I, I guess I could expand on, so we're, we're actually talking about potentially expanding diving for rays, like Angel and I recognize that like between the three of us we have a very like small perspective of what it means to be queer in this conservation space like we do have many different experiences but that doesn't cover all of them obviously so we're kind of looking at making documentaries about other people we know in the the queer marine space so that's kind of one thing that's in the works if there is anybody listening who would like to get involved how do people access that space yeah, so um, if you're out there and you are interested in jumping into a community, if you join the Jackson Wild Collective, is probably going to be the first place that I'm going to point you to. And that is basically Jackson Wild's like online, I'm not going to call it like a social media platform, but it's like a space where people can like network. It I really like it because there's like a whole page for like jobs and opportunities and grants that you can apply for. But they also have these little um, engagement groups kind of. And one of them is like uh, for, you know, the LGBTQ plus like... Um, initiative. Um, so you can connect with people from literally all over the world who are a part of the queer community, who are going through the same things, who are looking for connection and networking. Um, and then also if you if you follow along with that community and also if you follow Jackson Wild like on, on social media or follow any of the three of us on social media, you can get um, up to date with the information because we, we hold events um, through Jackson. Uh, last year we held two events. One was a Pride Month uh, like kind of celebration event. And then there was another event that we held that was more of like serious kind of getting into like people's stories and, and and things like that and then we have a lot of things planned for the Jackson Wild Summit this year we're hoping to release two resource guides um, one is for people like us who are um, either freelancers or looking to break into the industry um, both in the world of science and in the world of filmmaking and kind of how to protect yourself what you should like look out for how to how to best kind of like begin to enter this industry and look out for yourself and take care of yourself make sure that you're getting treated fairly and then the next resource guide is for allies and for those people who are looking to provide those spaces and and um things like that we're also looking to do a, a queer hike um if you actually come to the jackson wild summit in person which is gonna be really fun because the grand tetons are just like stunning and to go on a hike there with a bunch of queer people is gonna be really fun okay amazing well i just want to thank you guys for creating that space and for your visibility and for 
being yourselves and, and allowing other people to do that too. I'm sure it's going to have a massive impact in a lot of people's lives. So please watch the film. <laughs> thank you so much for having us on. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. super excited to hear what you brought to the table as far as news updates goes what what the heck's going on in the world that you thought was interesting (laughs) well in the past when you asked me to come with news stories i usually go like you know hard like climate change politics news something that's like sad and a bummer yeah Yeah. but i wanted something a little more (laughs) like i don't know interesting this time and i came across this unbelievable article about ticks Ooh. Which we have talked about before because we both have Lyme disease. Exactly. Okay, I'm really excited about this. I knew this would be one that you'd be interested in, Serena. So these researchers are trying to demonstrate that ticks can use the like static electricity fields of their hosts. Oh. So like of, you know, a human or some other large mammal to basically like defy gravity and suck themselves up onto the 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 body of a host wait <laughs> wait what <laughs> I mean, is... you're telling me ticks can defy gravity yes uh, that is what i'm saying yeah yeah so they demonstrated that static electric electric fields naturally produced by animals including humans can physically yank these creatures on like from like a blade of grass or something you know if they're close by onto a host um and there's a video of this uh this i came across this article in the new york times there's there's like a short video um showing like they created this device Mm -hmm. that and basically replicated the amount of like natural static electricity like the static electricity field that like a human or a similar sized mammal would naturally produce Mm -hmm. and in you can watch this like you know two second video of a tick just crawling along and they put this device down and it just gets sucked up onto it you can't see my face uh (laughs) (laughs) eyes are wide (laughs) Uh, which is crazy right i mean it's like you can imagine i mean this is you know like i've always imagined right that it's like you're walking through tall grass Mm -hmm. which is like where ticks live Mm -hmm. and you kind of brush against that long grass Mm -hmm. and the ticks kind of like you know maybe i don't know maybe jump like but if you're you know if i'm imagining how far a tick can Mm -hmm. go i'm thinking like not very far Mm -hmm. like you have to like close contact must be had right right i've always imagined you have to like physically touch that tick or come very close to physically touching that tick for it to like make that you know to get onto your body right but i mean that's 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 not true what the fuck what the fuck ticks just got even more terrifying (laughs) you know what i mean like there's already so many like come on i feel like (laughs) we (laughs) they've got too much going for them they've got like all these tick-borne illnesses not just lyme disease (laughs) and they're super resilient and hard to get off because they have usually like a hard body some of them have soft bodies but even the soft body ticks are hard to get off 
And uh, now you're telling me they use our electric current static to cling to us. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Yep. So this this research, uh, which was recently published, um, these two scientists were collaborating. And one of them is a veterinary parasitologist Mm -hmm. who specializes in ticks. The other one is an ecologist who studies electricity and electroreception. Oh, interesting. So they kind of like joined yeah. forces. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I thought that would be a good one because I know, I mean, we've talked about doing uh, an, an episode about Lyme disease, and climate change, and tick-borne illness. Um, so I thought this would be a fun little side story. Moving on from ticks, <laughs> um, I wanted to just kind of briefly talk about our next episode, which I don't have my calendar. It's I think it's the last Wednesday of July, the 20... 26th. 26th. Um, I had the best conversation with the folks of this interview. So, um, Matt, you know, as you're kind of like existing in the world today, what is the narrative when it comes to like what you've heard about tree communication and fungal networks? Like, give me like, I don't know, like a few sentences of, of how you've been learning about that or been told about that. You know, you've been sharing a bit about uh, these researchers you spoke with and, and this interview, but if like before that, I've heard about this, this concept of the wood wide web mm-hmm. from, a, I think a variety of sources, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, I'm pretty sure it was in a book that I read. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure I've seen it in at least one, maybe multiple documentaries mm-hmm. as well. Certainly as just like n- news stories. Yeah. Just like everyday vernacular. Yeah. Yeah. And I assumed it was totally true. Yes. Yes. And part of that is because I want to believe. It. Yes, exactly. But it also seemed, it also just made sense. You know, totally. I had just, I had totally accepted it. Yeah. As did I, you know, as did I. And but but then I started to really think about some of those things that even I was saying and like teaching people about where it was like, how do we know that that's actually true? You know, like I've heard about the experiments that got us to this place. But a lot of them haven't been replicated. A lot of them were only done once. A lot of them were only done in a greenhouse setting um and so there's just like all these unanswered questions a lot of like things that need to be hashed out scientifically and yet we're still using that evidence to make these claims and so that's where these researchers come in where they were feeling like they were seeing so much in the discourse um on this topic that was just like just out, out of this world claims that were just not based in scientific evidence. And, um, you know, one of them was like, they mentioned it on the, a recent episode of Ted Lasso. You know, it's just like, and if you read articles about this topic, it it is with so much confidence that these things are stated. Like you said, there's books about it. There's films and documentaries about it. Um, but, but, but we actually don't really know what's happening. You know, we have, and that's the thing about theories and with science is like, it's always moving. Our, our knowledge is always changing. It's flexible. We are adapting based on our, off new knowledge and experiments and experience. So um, they were just like, why is it with this 
particular topic that we're just like, nope, that's it. We're good. <laughs> we know this. It's true. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I interviewed Dr. Justine Karsh. She's a mycologist out of the University of Alberta, as well as her colleague, uh, Dr. Jason Hoxma, who's a professor of biology at the University of Mississippi. And they together, along with um, I think one or two other colleagues, have written um, uh, multiple papers on this topic where like even in the scientific literature where things are cited, they're cited incorrectly and there's, right. you know, so it's just like this like self-feeding cycle of like almost miss not not quite misinformation, but like we're just we're just way ahead of ourselves with this, you know, as far as like these claims and where the science is actually at. So um, we had an amazing conversation that like kind of blew my mind a little bit in terms of like it didn't it. <laughs> You know, it is the story that we want to be true, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's this romanticized version of the forest. And it's like, this anthropo- anthropomorphization is something we can all relate to because we're humans. And we're like, oh, we talk to each other. We do the, you know, mm-hmm. and we share and we, and we have community. So it makes sense to us. And we, like, if, if that was going on in the forest, like, wow, like, we're all connected. And it's, you know, this whole yeah. thing. But it, it it's just a lot more complicated than that. Um, and we talk about that. We talk about the limitations in some of those experiments. We talk about, um, you know, things that we actually do know with hard evidence. We talk about, uh, you, you know, some of the things that they'd like to know, um, you know, some of those unanswered questions. And um, it just it just gave me a totally new perspective on, like, how we can communicate science better and in a way that like gets people excited and engaged about something without making out of this world claims that might not be based in in fact in evidence so uh yeah i i don't want to give too much away but like that was pretty much the the crux of the conversation which is just sort of like not quite debunking the theory of the wood wide web but sort of like examining it realizing that a lot of this has just kind of taken on a life of its own earth to humans is a production of the wildlands collective this show is hosted and produced by hannah mulvaney matt podolsky and me serena simons music for this episode is from blue dot sessions and be sure to check out our website at earthtohumanspod.com for a full list of credits, as well as photos and artwork for today's episode. Thanks!